Welcome to today's pizza podcast. I'm Tony Scott. We bring in another Tony, Tony Lancet Jr., a very well-known and respected official referee. Um, we're going to talk about how he got started in the officiating business, maybe a little bit of his background on hockey playing as well. And then we're going to talk about USA rules. We're going to talk about coaches, great games that he's officiated, and everything in between. Hope you enjoy today's show. Is a burning thing, and it makes a fiery ring bound by wild desire. I fell into a ring of fire. All right, Tony Lancet, welcome to the office. Welcome to the pizza pot. You ready to jump into the ring of ring of fire? You bet, Tony. All right, well, just a little bit of background. Uh, we go way back. I believe our first ever YHH Squirt B State tournament in 2012, I called you up and said, can you help me get refs? And it's the rest is history, don't you think? That's right. I think out of all the hundreds of tournaments and games that we've officiated, for the exception of about two or three tournaments that was out of your control and my control, you've managed our officials and managed to be – a great resource for officiating and great resource to bringing in great referees. Well, thank you. Yes, we have uh, a lot, lot of officials out there do a lot of good work, and it's always fun to come work your tournaments with uh, a lot of high-end players. High-end players, uh, high-end officials. Uh, I've told you this many, many times. We often get, you know, you think over here about all oh, the refs are bad, these refs suck, the refs are bad, the refs are bad. More often than not, I get the, com- the, the compliments. Man, we, I love coming to your tournaments because the refs are going to be really good. And uh, I think that's from part of my leadership and part of your leadership is to making sure that we pay a little bit more we, to get great refs. Uh, our, 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 our fans, our participants are really big on, you know, they pay a lot of money for this. And we talked about it before we started the show is the parents these days are paying a lot of money and there's a lot of investment into this. And so we want it, they want a good product out of us as a tournament uh, person and, and you as an official. You want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, the best uh, compliment we can get is, is no compliment. Uh, we, Correct. We, we really want to be invisible out there. Uh, we're there to facilitate the games. You know, when it's summer tournaments, they really want to know, hey, did the game start on time? Was it fair? Did the kids have fun? Yes. Yeah, so and I that's thought, what we do. It's funny you should say that because we can't work together in the winter because USA rules, we have to use the district scheduler, right? So I can't work with you in the winter. And there are games, trust me. There was a game, you'll love this one. There was a game down at Mariucci where we had to use the dreaded District 1 officials. And I got Andover and Edina in 12A, right? Now, imagine these. These are the two most storied over the last five years, 12A. You know, you got Scott Bowlby and you got Steve Little on the bench. I mean, these are these are big egos, and there's great players and great competition. It's going to be a tight game. And the guy shows up, and he had choppers on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean that just goes I'm to like, show. I'm like, oh no, where is Tony Lancet <laughs> when I need him? Right. That just goes to show what uh, what people are aware of when a referee walks in the building. You yeah, know? and you notice so, it right away. Yeah. Is the guy wearing mittens? Can the guy skate? Can he can he do all the things? And we'll get into what makes a great official. And wearing choppers might not make your list. I'm guessing, right? Correct. All right. So before we talk about the a lot of the different things and the topics, I want to just get a little bit of background about your your, your hockey playing career, your athletic career. Uh, you got a good story. I mean, 
we could do a whole story on just that, but we want to speed through it a little bit. So you grew up in Egan, and Egan was not a high school yet. Correct. Right? This is the pre-Natalie Darwitz days, right? Right. Um, So Egan, if anybody doesn't realize, was actually connected to Burnsville School District. And I know this because Burnsville just roared through in the 80s and 90s in sports because they had a huge high school. They needed a different high. They needed a new high school in Egan. And uh, here you were. You were in that same district. So walk through kind of your youth career playing hockey. Right. Uh, Primarily at Egan. Um, I was fortunate enough to play for my dad. Okay. Uh, Senior? Senior, right. right. Uh, Unfortunately, he wasn't uh, a hockey player growing up. So he learned everything from the Dick Bra videotapes. Yeah. I wrote him down note cards, took us down to the outdoor rink, and had us go through the paces. Um, so, but the biggest thing he had was make sure that the kids had fun. And, uh, if, if we were having fun, you know, the lights would stay on. If it was time to shut them off, we'd shut them off and go back home. All right. So, so, so we went into, uh, you know, that, that created a, a when I went to Creighton. Yeah. How did you get to Creighton? Was it, was that a family thing so, or was it like, Hey, I want to go, I want an opportunity to play because they were a great, you're a great baseball player on top of being a great hockey player. Was it more of a baseball decision? No, it was my, my dad went there. Okay. A lot of his family went there. Um, they gave me the opportunity, you know, St. Thomas Academy was relatively new, um, and that was closer to where we lived. Right. Um, so I visited that school, I visited Holy Angels, um, and ended up, uh, choosing Creighton, well, uh, Creighton I mean, at the if, time. If you were a great baseball player, you'd be a fool not to go there. And I think you did win a state championship in baseball, right? Right. In 1989. Yeah. So, um, so you end up at Creighton, um, walk through some of your great memories of playing high school hockey at Creighton. I can't, please drop this story. I got to hear it. About playing the state yeah, tournament. So we were uh, we were fortunate enough. We played uh, South St. Paul in the section final in 1988 uh, over at the old Coliseum. Okay, you know, that's when they still had section finals there. A lot and, of section and finals. We played, played our we played our conference games there during the year. Yep. And uh, if you had 20 people in the building, you were lucky. Right. Um, there there were empty. So you could you could come there. We joked you could come there and you could have your own section to sit in. <laughs> um, so, but we were playing against uh, South St. Paul, uh, and they had a couple. Had, one of the Woogers was on the team. Yep. Um, and, and Cunningham, you know, Cunningham Sports. Yep. Um, and uh, we were playing them, and we ended up uh, tying it, and we played overtime. And uh, we tied it with about 30 seconds left. And then in overtime, uh, I shot from the point, and uh, Chris Winkie tipped it in, game over. All right, this is your first name drop. Just so you know, I don't know this for sure because I haven't, I can't see the future, but there's going to be several more name drops coming up in this show. Who is, uh, for those that don't know and might be a little bit younger, who's Chris Winkie? Chris Winkie went on to have a, a pretty storied career at Florida State, uh, won a national championship, uh, being Michael Vick in a championship game, and then won a Heisman Trophy at Florida State. So and Football player. Got many, but he also that, played baseball, too, right? was after a few years' uh, stint in the minor leagues for baseball. He was drafted pretty high by the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, and spent some time in their organization for a while, um, and then decided to go back and play football. And I think if I'm right here, I, I, this is all through the newspaper or whatever, I think he you know, had, had a professional career in baseball and then took his money and like invested in properties, and he's doing pretty well for himself after his even after his pro football career, correct? Correct. Yep. Yeah, not to be surprised, right? right. Many, several people, several successful people come out of the old CDH. Um, okay, so you you. I want to hear the story. You make it to the state high school hockey tournament. What happens next? So we, you know, you see. The, 1988. You see the shows on TV and you see the videos that the teams make back in the day. Um, you know that everybody gets to stay in hotels. Well, we're at St. Paul School. We're five minutes from the old yeah. Civic Center. Literally. So we had to go to school on Thursday morning. <laughs> really? Yep. So we, play, we had the 7 o'clock game at night. 
So we had to go to school. They had a little pep rally for us. You didn't go to the tournament? You couldn't go to the early games? Oh, man. That's deprived. Went back to the, you know, we got our school at midday, though. Went back and had a nice meal. And then we were facing Edina, which was a tournament favorite. Um, So in our first year in the tournament, uh, it was Creighton Durham Hall. And uh, Edina jumped out right away, 3-0. And we stuck in there, hung in there, and that's uh, three nothing. Are you thinking just don't get put in a running time at this point, or did you think you could skate with no, them we, and play with them? We were just, you know, just kind of lunch bucket team that we had hanging in there. And in the third period, I, I put a shot on that from the point and went in. All right, so just for the record, now this is not, you know, like yeah, I do this all the time. Tone of voice, right? This is what your third goal of the season, right? And your sophomore or fresh junior, junior, junior. Okay, so your third goal of the year goes in, right? And now it's three one. Right. Then what happens? Then uh, we we hung in there, pulled a goalie, and uh, you know again uh, Chris Winky had the had the horseshoe and, and pumped in a goal and it was three to two with under a minute left. Um, so we you know we called the timeout and kind of rallied the troops, and but we couldn't get the equalizer. And they ended up going on to win the state title. Right. So they were on the ropes a little bit in that first game. Right. All right. So after after that season, you also played football at Creighton. Correct. And did you play in the prep bowl too? We did in 1989. All right. How, what happened there? Uh, we played Blaine uh, and uh, we. Is that Tom Newman team? Tommy Newman. All he right. Goaltender for the Gophers and, for hockey. And Johnny Busick, too. I think he's got another yep. kid coming up through the Zach Blaine program. Zach Busick, yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, they came down to, to tie the game at the end and they went for two to win it. Yep. And uh, he rolled, Tommy Newman rolled out on a bootleg and our. Uh, he got to the our, cone, our right? Wasn't it? Our safety cut him off just before the before the cone. Our safety rolled through the cone, and uh, the official signaled good for the two point conversion, and they they won the game. So was this a bad call? Uh, As an official, <laughs> was it a bad call? Uh, it might have been the position of the official that uh, that uh, didn't give him the best view. He so probably he probably made the best call of where he was. Is this is this does this spark you into your officiating career? This bad call that cost you state title? I don't know if it was a bad call. It was just a, a call that he made based on where he was, but. It uh, it definitely uh, made me think about possibly you know helping and giving back to the game um, as somebody that could Did it really? manage a game. Right. All right. Um, now fast forward to your senior year of baseball. What happens there? Uh, baseball, we had a pretty good run. Uh, again, it was a high high talent, a really good team. We had I think it was thirteen multiple sport athletes really on the team. So a lot Bes- of kids. That besides play- Chris Wenke, who else was yep. on the team? Uh, Notables. Bert, yep. Uh, Bert Sager. Yep. Uh, was on there. Uh, Sean McCauley was uh, played at St. Mary's. Uh, Mike Vogel uh, went out and played, um, so we had, we had some pretty good, pretty good players. And how did you win it? Was it a blowout ten run them, or was yeah. it a spectacular? No, finish? We were playing uh, Hibbing, and uh, we uh, we it was the seventh inning, and we were the visiting team. We 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 got uh, uh, we got a, a runner on on a hit by pitch. No way. Um, and so he stole second, and we bunted him to third, and you know ground out, scored. Uh, we're up four to three, and then I was the relief pitcher, so I came in and pitched the pitched the seventh. You got and, the uh, you got the win then, got right? The win not only that, but uh, the last out was a strikeout, called third strike. So I dropped to my knees on the mound. Really? And our catcher came at me like a middle linebacker <laughs> and just blasted me, and uh, I was on the bottom of the pile. <laughs> I'm on the pile, and you got twenty guys on top of you. You don't know when you're getting out of that pile. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> so, um, so you got trucked, huh? Right. All right. Uh, okay. So. This is where the story gets really interesting. Uh, Ho-hum, uh, where'd you go to college? I ended up being fortunate enough to go out to Harvard. This is insane. Yep, we had uh, Dan Scanlon, who was uh, a year ahead of me. Mal's son? Mal's son, right. Yep. Long-time okay, Mal's long-time football coach at yep. Creighton. 
Yep, he he was out there and uh, he called up and said, "Hey, uh, you might want to come and take a look at this this place out here." And I said, "Harvard?" <laughs> yeah. And he said, "Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. You know, the guys are great. Um, come on out." So he set up a visit, went out there, talked to the hockey coach Bill Cleary, longtime legend. Yep. Um, assistant coach out there was Ron Tomasoni, who was from Hibbing. Yep. Um, and then, uh, you know, talked to the baseball coach. So he was there recruiting you at the baseball game. Right. Correct? You said right. something like that, right? Yep. So, uh, and now Tomasoni is a huge name on the range. I mean, it, right. there's there, you can't swing a dead cat up there without hitting one. Nope. There's nope. tons of them up there. Right. And not just in not just in Hibbing, but in Virginia as well. Right. So okay. uh, ended up getting the acceptance letter, uh, ironically, on April Fool's Day. No way. <laughs> so it came in the mail, and I look at it, and I'm like, wow, this is awesome, you know, so I got my acceptance letter, this is where I'm going, and then two days later, the Notre Dame baseball coach calls me and says, hey, you know, we'd like you to come down here, take a look at this, and I said, you know, I'd love to do it, but I got my acceptance letter at Harvard, that's where I'm going. Yeah, uh, what a life. Right. What a life. All right, so you, you, you played baseball there all four years. Correct. And hockey just one year, right? Right. Uh, who was on your team? You said you had a f- famous, so, couple so famous I, people. I played on the, out there, they still had a, a JV program too. Yeah. And uh, Chuck Fletcher was on our team. And so, now, would he remember you when you would run into him here back in the cities 30 years later? Right. Yep. Ironically, he would remember you. Ironically, huh? uh, my wife trained his oh, son right. for here a little Here we go. We're going to get the wife. We're going to get the wife <laughs> in right off the, the bat, right? My wife trained his, his son for a little while um, at uh, an academy that we had. Now, we're going to do a little name drop in here. Your wife is not Brooke Lancet. She's tech, better known as? Brooke White. Brooke White. Um, and Brooke it plays on the Whitecaps. Right. And she's kind of a pioneer, too, for women's hockey. I don't know much uh, girls' hockey, too, but but definitely for women's hockey here in the state. is one of the original founders of the Whitecaps program, right? Right. Her along with uh, Winnie Brot and Jenny Potter. Yep. Um, and then uh, Jenny's dad, Dwayne, and, uh, and uh, uh, Winnie's dad, Jack. Yep. They, they came together and kind of started this program for a place for uh, college, you know, post-grads to play. And you know, this was back in 2001. So how did she, she's an East Coast girl. How did she get to the Twin Cities? She's actually was born in California. Oh, okay. And, and, and grew up out there and then went to prep school at Lake Placid. Okay, yeah, okay. I knew that there was yeah. an East. Okay, so she's got both East and West influences. And then she went to college at Northeastern, played at Northeastern. Yeah. But she was in the national program and trained with a lot of the girls from Minnesota. So she came back here, liked training with the girls, liked everything about Minnesota, and she ended up moving back here. Got it, got it. Um, okay, so how did you meet her? Uh, officiating. Yeah, and you know, I want to get <laughs> yep. this part in here, so it all comes back to officiating, yep. doesn't it? Officiating. I was uh, I was fortunate enough to work some of their their, their scrimmages and such for the Whitecaps, and uh, after you know a couple of the games, we went out to, out to eat and you know met some. And there was only three male refs and twenty players from the Whitecaps. Good odds for you, right? <laughs> right, right. And uh, eventually, we started playing pickup hockey. Um, and it uh, evolved into uh, a, a dating relationship and eventually married and now with a couple couple kids. Bo, and what's the other one's name? Blake. Blake. All right, I knew it was 2 B and B. I wasn't right. sure what the other one's name was. Yeah. All right, so you married. You're, you're an official. How did you get started in, in the officiating business? So once I got out of college, I came back and, and uh, I, you know, I started working at the bank and I wanted to pick up something else. So I right. started officiating uh, hockey in the wintertime and I picked up baseball umpiring in the summertime. And I like both because I love playing baseball. I love playing hockey. Um, I was still playing amateur baseball a little bit. And uh, the, the following summer, it was bad weather. And the baseball games I had were lengthy. Rained out, you know, too. They get, get rained out. They would be long games. Um, and a couple of my buddies said, hey, why don't you do some of this, uh, this summer hockey? Right. I'm like, oh, you mean it starts at 630 and ends at 845? Yep. 
sign okay. me up. I'm in. <laughs> and uh, from there, it kind of led to an invite to the MHOA camp. What's that? Elaborate on that one a so, little bit. So that's for uh, uh, youth officials in Minnesota yep. uh, to come up and kind of fine-tune their craft and get feedback from uh, some of the some of the veterans in, in USA Hockey and Minnesota Hockey. So it's kind of a breeding ground for officiating then. Right. And okay. so you go up there and uh, you work some games, and, and I met a couple people through the Minneapolis program, high school boys program, that said, hey, would you like to be interested in doing high school hockey this year? And I said, great, sign me up. How old are you at this point? Uh, 27, 26? 26 or so, yep. Okay. And this is 1996-ish? Right. Okay, so you started fishing. You've been doing this for 24 years. Right. And now, you you know, you basically can kind of pick your gig now, right? Right. As many, you know, you had an injured arm, and all of a sudden you're the gold judge in this game. Like, you can't even get <laughs> away. Even when you're injured, you can't get away from it, right? Right. It gave me a little new perspective, though, as a gold judge, so that was fun. All right, so... Talk about the process of going from, yeah, I, I was doing some youth PB and Bantam games, uh, some off-season stuff, to high school. Uh, did you, you didn't start off being the official, the, the referee. You were probably a linesman, right? And then how does the process go? Right. right. The, the process for me was, was four to five years in USA hockey, working a lot of the youth games, right. just fine-tuning the craft there, uh, getting the opportunity to go into high school and be a linesman. Um, and, yep. and that back then it was a two referees and one linesman okay. and learning with a lot of veterans. Okay. Um, just Who were some of those guys attention. that you remember learning from? Uh, Jimmy Larson, Roger Lynn, Dave Delmonico, okay. um, Frank Larson, uh, Scotty Parker, uh, Ed Zapita, Marco Hunt. Ed you know, Zapita. He's yep. still involved in the state oh, tournament. Yep, absolutely. So a lot of those guys um, c- kind of introduced me to what, what, it, what it would take to, to work high-level high school games. So you kind of just watched and learned, right? Right. Um, and then obviously work, too. You had to work a lot of games. I mean, obviously the more games you can do, the more stupid scenarios. that you, I mean, literally, we talked right. about one before we turned on the recorder. It's like, wow, you can, you rarely see that. Or how do you right. officiate that? Um, so what are some of those crazy moments where you're like, you know, can I do this or I can't do this? You know, because it's there's it can get testy. It's not an easy job. I mean, if you're gonna pick side gigs, side hustle, like basically what hockey is, you could pick a lot easier side hustle than going to officiate a youth or a high school hockey right. game. I mean, one one of the things is by working a lot of youth hockey. Yeah, the, the things come up there like you, you you blow your whistle early and the puck pops out. Yeah, and they jam it in the net, you know, or somebody's playing with a broken stick. Yes, you know, or somebody throws their stick because that's what they do at the playground. Yep, just odd things that you don't typically see at a higher level game. So you start to make sure you understand the whole rule book, and then you eventually start to work in junior gold. Really helped me do that. I'm okay? sure it did. So you know, a lot of different things there. A lot of multiple penalty situations. People leaving the penalty box early. Yep. Um, you know, different things like that. How do you manage that? You know, a puck that goes in and it wasn't discovered by the referees until two minutes later at the next stoppage, there was a goal. Yeah. And by the way, this stoppage was because there was a goal for this team. And now that's not allowed. So just going through those yeah, Those that, scenarios yep. can happen a lot more at a youth game than you'd say at a, at a high school or a college game. Right. Um, you talked about the, um, when we were, we were talking before we started the show about, you know, just the, the, the learning process. Uh, what are some of those learning moments where you're like, gosh, I'll, I'll never forget that moment, like a, doing a youth game or a, or a, you know, a Bantam or game before you really got into the high school stuff? You know, there was, I had the opportunity to work the, the 2000 Tier 1 14 National Championships here at Bloomington. You, you texted me about this today. Right. Yep. Yeah. And Eden Prairie was in it. This was back when Minnesota Hockey sent their champion to the national tournament. 
And so they were playing uh, Chicago Young Americans in the semifinals. And uh, Matt Rao was on the team and yeah. and, and Chris Berenger. Yep. Um, and, and I think Ryan Hawkins was, too, another one of the big, Great big guys on, on, on that team. And uh, working that game, you know, there were just some odd things. Where was things. the game played? That, that big three. Okay. All right. Big three. Odd thing, we were working, and the clock went out. Yeah. And all of a sudden, now you're like, well, what do you, what do, you do here? Well, fortunately, there was a, a backup clock. It was a national tournament, and it goes back on, and we got everything squared away. So just odd things like that you don't, you don't think about when you're out there on the ice. Yeah, there's a lot of it. Is I'm glad you brought up that you were officiating in in the in the '90s and 2000s. Has de- decorum changed uh, amongst players, amongst coaches, amongst fans? Are they nastier today, or is it just about the same? Well, I, th- I think there's more outside influences that come into the rink with all of those people you just you know suggested. Yeah, think about social media. Think well, think about all these kids that play together and against each other in the summertime, and now they go to a winter season where they're on different teams, but they still text and do social media and Instagram and all that. Um, and parents have, you know, more pressure on them at work, and now they come to the game and, and something might not happen that they don't like, and now that, that built-up frustration ends Bubbles. up coming out. Um, same thing with kids. You know, they go to school, there's pressure at school to, to, to succeed or do well in school, uh, and now you got to go play a game. And you might not be ready for it. And right. So, so just kind of seeing all of that built up, it's, it's kind of turned things toward the – A little bit sideways. To, we're kind of going downhill a little bit. Yeah. And we need to start kind of bringing that back uphill. And I think officiating kind of can help do that. If We don't – when we run events together, I don't ever feel uh, any heat from you. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to fill this slot. When, the reason I'm saying this is still the old supply and demand, right? Like, right. we're in a good – Youth hockey is in good position because we pay a, a greater premium for our referees, and and I don't mind doing that. Um, but if you think about a Pee Wee B two game in New Prague, that's got to be a hard game to schedule for Terry from District Six because it's, it's that isn't as sexy of a game to officiate than it is maybe a Pee Wee Double A game at Bloomington Ice Garden or Edina, right? If you're a District Six official, just right. as an example, right? Right. Yeah. You you need a you need a big supply. Yeah. So I'm fortunate that in the off season, I have more supply than what we need to fill. Right. And fortunately, we've been building up our staff and adding good, good, good young officials that can work with our older veterans to understand how we kind of manage the game. Yep. And so that our stable is a little bit bigger. Now, when you get to the youth levels. And, and there's been a big push. I mean, if you, if you can't go in a rink these days without seeing the poster. You know what poster I'm talking right. about. Yep. And you saw what USA Hockey with Twigs and, and Glenn did this year with their tournament over at TRIA with, you know, humanizing this official where he puts right. the microphone on and says, I'm, I'm Tony Lancet and I'm from Egan and my favorite hockey member. You know, I loved it. I thought that stuff was great. You right. know, I don't think you could do that for every game. But what it does is it, you know, social media, I retweet it. And the next thing you know, there's 20,000, 40,000 people who see that, hey, we got to kind of take it easy. We got to take it easy on these refs or we're not going to have any refs. Right. I mean, if you just think about if you were went to your office and your boss was sitting right next to you watching you do everything, and as soon as you screwed up, you would get hollered at. It, you know, it would it's, be a joke. It's like the commercial on TV where the dad's banging on the glass yeah. at, outside the kid's classroom. Yeah. You know? Um, so, so you got to think about that. The, the officials are trying to learn. I mean, I'm, I'm always trying to, even though I've been doing this for a long time, there's still things that you learn and go on. And we'll talk about some of those later on here, but you're always continuing to learn. And that's right. one of the good, that's one of the good characteristics of an official is always continuing to learn 
um, with the situation. Well, that's a good segue because that's one of our topics is what makes a good ref. You know, I mean, I know what makes a good ref after running event. I've learned more about what makes a good ref by running an event than actually if, if, you know, actually coaching. Because coaching, you just look at all these guys, they're all bozos. Yeah, he's a bozo, he's a bozo, you're an idiot. You're out to get me. You you know what I mean? When in reality, they're just there to, you know, officiate a game. So what's going to make a good ref? The, the the best thing that you can have is good communication skills. And so you think about a lot of the newer refs or younger refs are coming in where they're used to being in front of a screen. Yeah. And now you have to talk to somebody with a heartbeat. And so they might not be comfortable in that situation. No. So getting them comfortable in that, and even some veteran officials, just getting them comfortable with listening, answering the questions, and, and moving forward. You know, really really being a good communicator. Uh, that, and that, and that's, that's success, success in any officiating, not just hockey. Right. Okay. Um, another thing is, is game management. How do you, how do you manage games? Because the teams aren't always evenly matched. You know, sometimes there's kids out there that aren't ready to play that day or might not be playing by the rules that day. How do you manage that? Okay. How do you use the rules, which if you look at it as a toolbox and not as a black and white situation, right. how do you manage that game? Okay. And then to wrap it all together, how do you work as a team on the ice? You know, because we are that third team on the ice working together. And just like any team, you're as strong as your weakest link. And I okay. try to do that when I'm coaching a game is try to work with the officials as if it's kind of like a uh, – I have these students, I'm the teacher, and you're the hall monitor. That's the way I try to put the relationship. I'm trying to teach you how to play the game, and the hall monitor out there is going to tell me if you're screwing around in the hall. Right. And I, I need and I need to trust you as an official. And, and then I can teach these guys. I had it happen to me. I was uh, coaching up in Vancouver last summer, and I had one of my defensemen go, you know, on a skirmish, goes, jumps in the pile and starts, you know, a scrum in front of the net. And he got to d- delay a game penalty. And and he goes off the box, and I'm like, ref, come here, come here. And he comes skating over. He thinks that I'm like, going to yell at him. I'm like, can you explain to him? what that was for i know exactly what it's for but if i explain it to him he's going to think i'm making it up but if you explain it to him it's going to go over much better he comes back he goes yeah no problem he goes back comes over he goes because i've never ever once had a coach treat me the way you just treated me i'm like is that good or bad he goes it's great i wish more coaches were true like it was like an aha moment for me like that's the best way to work with kids and work with officials is to work as a team as opposed to you're not on my team I hate you right. you're, you're costing me the game well the biggest thing of what I think what separates some of us is that we're able to talk to a player so that they don't do the same thing again yeah and so it, that way it minimizes the number of penalties we have to call in a game and therefore you're, the opportunity to get a good game flow helps yeah, and you want no. the flow. Right. I mean, if, if, if there's something that you need to know, this is going to be a dirty secret. I want to unveil a dirty secret officials. And after running event, after event, after event, watching games, refs want the game to be quick. They want they don't want to call a bunch of penalties. They they want to if they can get that thing done in 53 minutes versus 60, they're going to they're going to do whatever they can. Is that true or false? Uh, to quick, some quick, degree. Quick quick meaning good flow to the game. Yes. You can call 15 penalties in a game, and it can be quick because kids go to the box, they get in the box, and you drop the puck. Right. What happens is that if you're calling 15 penalties and every penalty, you got to go talk to the visiting coach, then the home coach, then the scorekeeper because they put the, they put the score up, up on the wrong side. Yep. Th- then it gets to be long. 
But I've yeah. worked I've worked a lot of games where we've called 15, 20 penalties, and it's shorter than some of the other games that we work, just because you know players are going to the box. You got a good relationship. Coach with puts the penalty kill out there. Other coach puts power play out there, and we're going. The triangle's good, right? Yep. You got to have a good triangle. Yep. All right. Um, so, any other characteristics of a good ref? Well, ultimately, especially this is especially true in youth hockey, and this is some some places where I, I think people are a little uh, 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 there's a misconception is that really player safety is number one, and so when you have uh, a bigger player hit a player uh, and it causes them to go into the boards hard, even though it's a normal hit for that bigger player, USA Hockey really wants to protect everybody right. that's playing. So because the pro player goes violently into the boards, even though they weren't violently hit, right, it's still going to be a penalty. Okay, yeah. And so there's a lot of frustration out there. It, that was one of the hardest things for me to start calling when they kind of changed the rule. Yeah, we'll get what, to the rules was too. To, was to call penalties, which I thought it's a very clean hit because it's at the faceoff dot but the kid goes flying all the way into the sideboards. Now you got to call penalty. Okay. And I get, and it makes sense from a safety standpoint. And as those players go up through the ranks, when they check that kid at the faceoff dot, the player that they're checking, isn't going to go flying all the way into the sideboards. Right. Okay. So, but just at the youth levels, understanding that a lot of the calls that are made, if you scratch your head and think about, well, was that a player safety call? And if you can answer yes, then that's, that's a pretty good call by the official. I'm not sure if this is the right time to get to it, but uh, you and I chat about this all the time. It talks about when to call penalties. What's when do you call a penalty? Obvious. You, you obvious. literally have this little checklist. Give just read off the checklist yep. for it. Let's hear it. Yep. Turnover. Right. Turnover the puck. Okay. Obvious and imminent, and if it's to the head. Okay. So turnover. Yep. Right. So I trip you and take the puck. That's a penalty. Yep. If I trip you and you retain control of the puck or your team controls the puck, you don't call a penalty. Uh, depends if it takes that guy out of the play. I mean, if if he's still going on with the puck, if if their team has a it was a three on two and now it becomes a two on one and they still maintain kind of that momentum, that, that momentum, and it's you know you, you might see was it really a trip? What was the imminent one? It, you know, it, players going to the net and obviously hauled down. Okay, that, that's not a turnover. We'll but, get to that one yep. in just a minute. Yep. And then what was the last one? A uh, scoring opportunity. This is the key. So and, and in safety too, right? That was right. another one. Yeah. You know, I go in there and I bludgeon you in the head with my with my elbow or my stick or my shoulder. Uh, I, I'm clearly out of control, right? Right. That's a penalty. Right. And that's that's the what that's the times to call penalties. Correct. Love it. Um, do you call a pen? Do you look at the clock when you're when you're officiating a game? Uh, only, oh, only, you can't call no, that, Tony. There's it's two minutes left in the game. The, the only answer that one. No, so a, a penalty is a penalty, as long as you understand that you would have called that in the first period and you're going to call in the third period in a tie game, okay? Because there's things that you're not going to see throughout the course of the game that you just don't see, and you can't play catch-up, okay? So, but you look at it and you say, yeah, is that a, is that a tie game coming into the slot, hauled down, is that a penalty you call? Is that a penalty you call in, in overtime? Is that a penalty you call in the second period? Do you have so, times where you would call or times you don't? Uh, usually in the first in the first period, you kind of you kind of have a little bit uh, more leeway, a little bit more leeway, which is a, a little bit different than they kind of teach in the clinics. They want you to clamp down right away in the first period, so it doesn't happen in the third. Right. But if you kind of see what teams are playing through, because you know, I talked about how teams might not be on even same skill level. level, yeah. And if you get teams on even skill level and they expect you know same kind of stick work, right? And that's what they've been playing all year, and you come in there and you try to call it, you're going to have thirty penalties, right? But if you see that's how they're both playing and they're not reacting, they're I've not had several, hurting each other. I've had several games where there, uh, there's a big chop that starts the game, and nobody says boo. 
And I'm like, okay, that's the standard. And yeah. so when everybody says, hey, that was a slash, I said, 24 set the standard. Yep. Okay, and that's what you have the whole game. So, and, and toward the end of the game, it's, again, the scoring opportunity, you really want to have that. You know, something behind the play, um, you're going to work through it. You're going to try and communicate. The, you know, the back referees are going to try and communicate with those players saying, hey, we got a good game going on here. Let's get up and play. Um, but if it's going to if it's going to affect possibly a goal, you got to take it. All right, pretend this recording isn't on. Have you ever given a makeup call before in your life? Come on. Boy, that's a hard that's a hard question. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've ref- millions of games, right? You know, have you ever done it? Um, and I'm not gonna say oh, which game was it, but have right, you ever? Right. I, I'm sure early in my career I probably did. Okay, um, but then I learned that you. you, you you're not going to catch up with the game. You're not going to. Ca- you said it earlier up. in the show. That's why I wanted to say, yep. have you ever done it? You know, I've seen. I've been on the ice when when there has been those calls, and I, I might ask my partner, "Hey, why'd you why'd you do that?" He goes, "Well, I missed this one here." You know? And so, like, okay, okay. So, and we work through that. So, uh, but yeah, that's it, rarely do you try to try to do that because it, it's a it's a losing proposition. Um. Okay. So. Along the same lines, do you have any um, – uh, have you ever had a situation where one of your partners makes a really bad call, and then do you make up for it? Like no. team A makes a, gets a bad call against him, would you go back and make it up, even things out? No, what you would do is you would just have a little bit of a heightened antenna on the, on the team that's on the power play okay, to see if they, they, they might create something that is a, a by-the-book foul. And you would call that. Now, if they don't do something, that's then that's just the luck of the draw. All um, right. But you know, I've had at times too. When, uh, you know, your partner you know comes up to you and says, "Hey, did you like that call?" And you might not have liked it, but you say, "Yeah, it's a good call. We're moving on," because that call happened. and You can't make up for it. Got it. So now, in the back of their mind, they're still confident and they're moving forward. Got you it. Know, I might just talk to a coach of of the team that got the power play and say, "Hey, you just saw that call he made, right? So if it happens against your team, you understand that." That call was just made. Right, right. Um, okay, so we have, I uh, want to talk about a couple scenarios here. Um, one of them was like kind of like the aha moment for you officiating. Um, do you want to go through it? It was a UMD versus Minnesota game back in some of the glory days of, of the Gophers in the early 2000s. Um, and it was a big moment for you because it was like you had done some D1 before, but now you had a really tricky call. you want to walk through this scenario? That was uh, back in 2006 uh, up at the deck, and they had recently switched their benches. So the visiting team was on uh, one side, and the home team was on uh, the other side. Which and was by the penalty box. The home team's bench was by the penalty it's box. It would be a lot easier so, to describe if you, had a, if you had a whiteboard. But we were doing a podcast here, so try to right. describe the best you can. Similar to Veterans Memorial. Yes, yeah, so I was going to say, yep. just like Veterans. Yep. So uh, UMD had just taken a 5-10 and 10 for checking from behind. And then took another penalty, so they're down five on three. Um, and this was, you know, Eric Johnson, Oposo, and those guys on the Gophers, um, pretty pretty high end players. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I'm, that was, was the year they had like four first round draft picks. Right. So I was in front of the UMD bench, holding the blue line, and the puck came out to Eric Johnson, and he went to shoot it, and the UMD defender blocked it, and it went bouncing by me. So I hopped up on and the. And you're boards. on the blue line, yep. right? I hopped up on the boards, and the puck went by me. So then I see. Uh, so then I get down and I turn, and there's a UMD player skating over the red line, over the blue line on a breakaway. Down they were on, on the they were down five on three, right? And I turn around and I almost run out to this guy coming out of the penalty box, 
And I'm thinking, wait a minute. They had three guys in the zone. This guy's got the puck going on a breakaway, and this guy's coming out, and they still got a guy in the box. Yeah. They can't have that. And so by the time I connected all those dots, you know, in real life time, this is like two, three seconds, I'm ready to blow my whistle, and the UMD guy puts it in the net. So UMD's going nuts. It's first period. Crowd's going bonkers. One nothing, UMD. And I call over the referee, and uh, I tell him, I said, uh, this is what I got. This is Don Adam, right? Right. I said, this is what I got. So he talks to me for a little bit. I I go through it, the the scenario, and he goes over and talks to, explains the call to Lucia. And Lucia was over there, and he he said his few choice words. Well, yeah, because he saw like 11 guys on the ice, right? Well, he he would have had a better view than most in the building because he because was of the outside. opposite bench. Yeah. Had this ha- had this happened, had there been single or double benches, right. he wouldn't have seen it. It would have been right. right in front of him. It would have been too crowded, too yeah. clustered, right? So, Donnie comes back and he says, "You're 100." I said, "Yep." He goes, "All right, you're going to explain it to Sandy, Coach Scott, Scott Allen, yep. right?" So as we're skating over there, this was this was it was probably only about 30 feet, but it seemed like it took two minutes to get there. <laughs> And when I'm getting there, Sandy was yelling, you didn't blow your whistle. You didn't blow your whistle. Which you knew at this so, point, he knew So at he that was point, wrong. At, at that point, I knew that he was looking for a technicality and that the call was correct. And now you're so, sort of breathing a sigh of relief, so, so right? I, I said, hey, that happened so fast, and this building was so loud because your guy's going to break away, my whistle wouldn't have been heard anyway. And I said, by the way, give me another guy because he had too many guys on the ice. <laughs> so he's, now, like, he's like, I'm going to look at that video. I'll tell you. And so and that was, you know, so we put him back, and they got over to another five-on-three for a little while and um, went back in the locker room after the first period and just kind of sat there. And Now, there's you're still not looking at a video monitor right, at this, this point, right? Yeah, this you is, still haven't been verified if, you've, if you're right or wrong, right? Right, yeah. This was back in the days when they didn't have video review. Right. So we get, uh, get in the locker room, and the staff just kind of were sitting there talking about it again, you know, and I'm just saying, this is what happened. <laughs> this is what happened, guys. Talk about the penalty box guy, so, right? So the, the, the penalty box guy comes in. and From just, UMD. Yep, and he just asked a question. He said, which one of you guys called that? You know, and, you know, the, Donnie said, we did. As a group, we, we called it. And you pretty much did as a group. Yep, yep. And so he said, boy, oh, boy, that guy's, you know, he's, he's got a lot of confidence, but you know what? You made the right call because our, our freshman in the box was watching that guy in the breakaway instead of getting out of the box and going to the bench. Yeah. So right there, I'm like, oh, thank goodness, you know. Just you always like to have a little reassurance, even though you know you're 100%. Yeah, that made officiating the next two periods a lot, you're a lot more confident the next right. two periods, right? Because right. if not, you're wondering, man, did I screw yeah. this up? Yeah. But, you know, that at the, at the time, you're like, geez, did I not see what I saw? And I'm like, no, I'm playing it back in my mind. This is exactly what I saw, exactly what I saw. So and you, and you make the call on that, and fortunately, you know that the, the video did support that eventually. Um, the only thing that I did wrong from a mechanical standpoint is I didn't blow the whistle right away. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, but, you had also jumped up on the boards too. Right. So or whatever you had, you were jumping out of the way. So it wasn't exactly you were in a great position because of this is stuff. The stuff that happens in hockey right. that's really difficult. It's a really difficult sport to officiate. Right. Um, and one of them, the reasons it is, is you're on skates. Right. And you're, and the people watching the game are sitting on their keister above the glass with a perfect view of what just happened, where your ice level, ice level sometimes is a great view, and sometimes it's the worst view of all. Yep. I mean, th- there's been many occasions where just a little nick in the ice can cause you to, uh, to lose an edge and lose your balance just for a second, and then your mind is not necessarily, or your eyes might not be looking where you're supposed to, and that could 
be the difference, especially in the high pace and high speed that these guys plays with play with these days. Yeah, you could miss something, and you know that's why they added you know another official at the college level and in the high school state tournament. They added four people out there to try to help and get those calls. Do you like doing four four I, man crew? I I, I love it um, because you're you're skating backwards most of the time, watching play come at you. Right. Um, as opposed to the one referee, two linesman system, where you're you're skating in, you know, forwards uh, with the, with the play in front of you. You know, you, you got, you're looking at backs. Yeah. Not looking at play coming at you. Plus, it gives you the ability to kind of you know sneak around behind the net and get into a better position to see the play. Um, and and also the, the as the trail person, you can pick up the guy in the slot, come right. in to see if he's getting interfered with, see if he's you know barging through the goalie, you know those types of things. Right, and that's that's where the meat is, right? right. That's where all the big plays are the point of attack all right uh we wouldn't be remiss to talk about one of the most i would say controversial but uh most talked about goals uh i i I say in my memory i mean you're coming up on 50 i'm 52 years old like have you ever seen a goal like the blake vanilled game uh, that ended in the uh the, the section final not on a not on a penalty i've seen penalty shots called in overtime but not scored i've never seen it and then not to win a section playoff game or section title game no no i mean it's never yeah. happened yeah. i i didn't even have to you know people call me hockey raymond i didn't even have to go into my little magical database i'm like that's never happened right. i i would have the reason is is you know i in the 70s i started watching high school hockey and i haven't really stopped well, someone would have told me about something that happened in the 50s or 60s. Right. You know, you hear about the eight overtime game, the Thief River. You know, these are the things you hear about in legend. That's a legend you would have heard about. Right. So, you know, such, you know, saw St. Paul beat St. Paul Johnson to go to state in 1962. You would have heard about this. Right. Never, no one's ever mentioned that before. And it happens. Walk through, if you didn't see it, walk through what, as a referee, uh, I'm going to describe it and then you go back and, 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 either say what it was true or was false what I just said. Uh, James Callahan uh, loses his stick for Benilde. Okay, so at some point loses his stick, and he's around the his defensive blue line. Uh, Gavin Best uh, gets a suck hole pass from Joe Miller at the same at the exact same time and goes in past skates past uh, James Callahan uh, and James Callahan in his haste. Um, brings down, I'll just say brings down, I won't say tackled, brings down Gavin Best, and immediately the official makes the call for penalty shot. Who was the official who made that call? Do you know his name? I'm not sure. You don't remember? Okay, I thought you knew his name. Okay, all right. What did you see, and would you have called it any different? No, I I was, I mean, uh, social media these days. It was immediate. You see videos come out, and you watch it, and it's like, that's a penalty shot. If there was a definition of a penalty shot, they put that video in there. Followed from behind on a breakaway, going in. It is and the definition of a penalty shot. Yep. We talked about this. Do you call that in the first period, second period, third period? Do you call that in overtime? You know, it, it or would be, a state cha- state uh, uh, tournament berth. Yeah, it would be easier for people to understand and not necessarily accept the call, just understand it if it was called that way all the time. Okay. Right. If if they if as I think that's one of the things that officials don't call enough of is penalty shots. Right. Um, and and really, the success rate isn't that – it's not what you think it is. Is it okay. 30%? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't even I'm know. Sure. It's, just, no it's, just not, it's just not a slam dunk goal like everybody thinks it is. Correct. You know? 
Um, and so you, that's why the, the coach gets opportunity. I think in the state tournament, Blake had the opportunity uh, in the in their uh, quarterfinal game to have a penalty against, shot against or, it was Henry Nelson who had yep, the penalty, yep, a penalty shot. shot or a penalty they and they elected, they elected to take the power play. Yeah. Um, to, so you always have that option. Uh, but yeah, when, it, when it's a solo person on a breakaway and the guy takes him down from behind, it's a uh, pretty, pretty simple uh, and standard penalty shot call. Would if James Callahan, I love to just kind of replay this. If he had not lost his stick and he chases down Gavin best with a slash and Best goes down and doesn't score on the breakaway. Is it a is it a penalty shot? If it's from behind, if he you catches so? him, if he catches him and comes from the side, good for him. Okay, right. but if it's but I mean still a slash slash, but, but not a penalty shot. Correct. Penalty shot gotta be from behind. I, I think the fact the reason and I, I defend this stance is that it's a penalty shot because he wrapped his he knowingly wrapped his arms around him. Right. I mean, I guess he, I said, he wrapped his arms around him, so you cannot argue that it wasn't. Oh, he didn't try to. You know what I mean, like, <laughs> yes, you you right. literally hauled him down from behind. That is a penalty shot. Yeah, you mentioned something there. You said he didn't try to. There's a lot of times you'll hear that from, from coaches or players. Say, I didn't try to. Well, it doesn't that's matter. Okay. It you doesn't did matter. It. But that was my <laughs> point. Like yeah. the slashes and the and the hooks and stuff. Like something. There's some intent there. Whatever. But when you put two arms around a player and it's right there in front of everybody in the rink, great sight lines at Mariucci, the whole rink saw it. And uh, it's a tough call. And I feel for the referee who had to make that call. Well, you also think about smart penalties in hockey. You think about right. that. Hey, this guy's on a breakaway. If I if I can get him down, at least get a penalty shot. I mean, the ice is bad. And not that not that this vanilla player yeah. was thinking it. No. But the ice is bad. You know, you got a really good goalie. Uh, you know, I like our chances with him. Right, you know, right. So, uh, you know, and then the, then the pressure mounts too because now the Blake player's coming in with nobody on him, and like people are saying, oh, he's got time to think, and he might not. I mean, for him to make, score on that goal, it was a lot tougher than people think. Oh yeah, because it was a all great that pressure. Move. You know, he's playing for an Olympic coach. <laughs> yeah, you know, and he comes in and he and he scores. Great on a, on a on a really good goalie. Great move, great goalie, yeah. great everything. Yep. It was it was fantastic. All right, uh, now you get to be king for a day. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the USA. This is not high school rules. We're going to talk about USA hockey rules. There's a bunch of them have been have come into play over the last 15 or 20 years. Um, obviously, no checking for peewees. Uh, they've added in the icing rule for shorthanded. You can't ice the puck when you're shorthanded. Um, a lot of rules related to checking from behind, a lot of rules related to head contact, a lot of rules uh, just related to checking and body contact and safety. Um, out of all those rules that we just that I just listed off there, any of them that you like or any of the way, if you could change USA Hockey in any way, how would you do it? I would look at adding checking into the peewee AA and A level uh, as opposed to uh, where it is right now and then also take out checking at the Bantam B2 levels and below and up to like Junior Gold B and U16 uh, B. I think I know there's A. I don't know if there's B there, but uh, make that truly an area for kids that just love to play hockey. Right. Give them that avenue to play. And I'll tell you a little anecdote. Uh, a friend of mine, um, a, a Dinah family, 
you know, three, four kids that played hockey, great people. Their youngest son has uh, some type of birth defect where he hasn't grown and, and he's still a, he could probably play another year of peewees, even though he'd be an eighth grader, but they probably let him play just because he's so undersized or whatever. Here's a kid who, and he goes, but I want to play with my friends, but he can't do body because he's got some head issues, right? So he can't play body contact. Well, this would be a perfect avenue for him uh, playing no check Bantams. And, right. and that's what you're talking about. He could play B2 Bantams and he'd be right. a great B2 Bantam player next right. year. Um, and the same for everybody. It, it's, it's, it's a, it's, People drop out of hockey at its greatest pace at Bantams because of the checking. Right. Yep. And and think just think about player safety. You know the size difference, the speed of the game. I mean, now it's it it, it causes people to be getting checked and not being prepared for that um, when they're out there just you know looking to have fun. And do you think that they could take checking out of junior goal? Um, at the again, B, at the perfect B, level at, at, at the B, B level. level. At the B level, they could. But how much the, more fun would that be for the kids playing yeah. junior gold B? Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, if they just know, we're, hey, we want to check. Well, then go play junior gold A. Right. If you don't want to check, go play junior gold B. And, and you know, personally, from the games, probably get murdered here when I walk yeah. out of the building for for suggesting yeah. such a no, blasphemy. But, but I think it'd be a great idea to it would increase participation long term. Well, personally, from the junior gold B games I've officiated, that's where things start to turn sour. Is when Somebody has a clean, hard check. They don't like it, so our team responds with clean, dirty checks. Well, what ha- checks. yeah, absolutely. And, what, and the reason those, the retaliation happens isn't even because of the, the, the chirping and all the things that happen in junior gold. It's because there's 30 girls and 30 guys from their high school there who just saw them get embarrassed. I'm like, well, I'll show him, right? right. That's where I love junior gold from that the, the, the school participation perspective, but a lot of the content can get a little bit negative. Right. But if you just go want to watch a good go watch a good high school hockey game, go watch Jay Gold A and Gold Jay Gold B. Right. There's some good hockey players and right. some good coaches and some good people right. involved at that level. Yep. It's, yeah, it's, it's still, it still serves a valuable role in the development of players and development of team team sports so we need to make sure we keep that in but how do we keep it safe for everybody right all right so let's have some fun here uh you've been doing this for 24 years you've seen the the good bad and the ugly uh from some high school hockey coaches i made a list i generated a list here um with no input to you at all i'm gonna i'm gonna throw out some names (laughs) right i'm gonna throw out some some current coaches some past coaches and I want to play a little word association. If you if you got to go multiple words, that's fine. But if it just needs to be one word description of some high school hockey coaches here in Minnesota, are you ready to go? We'll give my best shot. All right, let's see. <laughs> let's see. You're a great official. Are you a good wordsmith? Okay, we're gonna put your put your wordsmith to a test here. Uh, let's start at the top. Um, probably one of the greatest coaches of all time in the state, Tom Satterdahl. Father figure. Okay. Um, We'll go current. We'll go Kurt Giles, Edina. Commander. <laughs> yeah, that's a good word. Uh, here's a great one. Um, Mike Randolph, Duluth East. He gets the best out of his players year after year. All right. Uh, just won the state title, Bill Lechner. Uh, one of the greatest tacticians as a coach I've ever come across. All right, good one. Uh, Trent Eigner. Uh, new wave. New wave. Uh, Not just the skinny jeans, it's everything, right? Somebody that uh, relates to the players um, and has their best interests in mind. All right. You told a story before we turned the recorder on about how he's matured as a coach. 
Well, I, right. Know, I mean, ideally, when, when and this happens to any players that move up a level, you know, I see it a lot in, in college when a freshman comes into a new league and they try to think they have to do something, and new coaches when they come into a league and they think they need to do something, and they there's a learning curve for that. Right. And uh, and Trent's gone on that curve, um, and he's become you know, one of the top top coaches. All right. Uh, here's a guy who's finished second three times in the last five years, but still two state titles. We'll get to one of those games later. Uh, Lee Smith at Eden Prairie. Lee Smith, uh, just fun, just a fun coach, fun to work. Um, and uh, sometimes you don't really know. He likes to move his head a lot. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you don't know where he's looking. Uh, but uh, good coach to interact with. Okay, great. Uh, here's a legend from Moorhead, Dave Morinville. Right, uh, probably from the from the city's people, uh, one of one of the best coaches that I've uh, had interactions with, and not always good good times, bad times. Yeah. Um, but uh, seeing him at the rink quite a bit uh, down here when his daughter was actually playing for the club team at the U of M. I look up in the stands. I'm roughing a game at Mariucci, and there's Dave up in the stands. Yeah, you so What can't. are you doing here? My daughter's playing. And they're you know? junkies, right? So, but uh, but he's had some really good players come through there, and he's he's really developed them. All right. Uh, here's one of my favorites, all-time favorites, uh, Tom Vanelli. Uh, very technical. Okay. He takes, takes, takes every opportunity to, to find a, an edge for his team, either through video um, or heart rate monitors or nutrition, um, trying to stay ahead of the game that way. He was always that way, right? Right. Uh, here's a, another legend for you. Uh, one of my all-time favorites, Bruce Plant. Uh, quiet giant. Quiet giant. What, what do right. you mean by that? Like, uh, you know, behind the bench, he's he's a, he's a, he's a, he's, a, he's you know he's a kind of a bigger figure, so he's kind of looms over the team. Yep. Um, and if things start to turn in a different way, he'll 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 voice his opinion. But only when necessary, right? right. Yep. Yep, I had the fortune of, of coaching his uh, his last game as a high school coach. And would that have been the Mammal game, right? We'll right. get to that one in a minute. Yep. Uh, here's the one. Uh, I don't know how many state titles he won, at least two, um, maybe more. Uh, Wally Chapman at Breck. Uh, humor, humorous. Really? Right, yep. I've had a lot of good uh, interactions with him throughout the years. Um, just, uh, you know, different things that kind of lighten the situation. So it was always fun working his games. All right, and last but not least, Egan's coach, Mike Taylor. Uh, energetic. Energetic. Sometimes really? he's got more energies than the players. Yep. I've heard, I don't know if this is true or not, I don't know Mike that well, but I've heard he's genius level, like one of the smartest people you'll ever meet. Uh, that, that very well could be. That could be. Okay. Um, you know, sometimes we get to hear coaches, uh, you know, coaching their players on the bench if you're by the bench enough. Yeah. Um, and uh, when I was breaking in as a linesman, he was over there at Egan, so I could kind of learn, learn a little bit there. But more as a ref, you don't get that opportunity as much. Um, right. But he's taken some pretty good Egan teams to to state tournaments. Yeah. Um, and so uh, so it's been kind of kind of fun to see him uh, him grow. All right. Uh, let's uh, switch gears here and talk a little bit about the guys uh, making it. You've obviously officiated in the state tournament. What does it take? What let's go through the process of the state tournament uh, from officiating perspective. Right. How do you how do you make it to state? So, you know what I mean? Like team A. You know, I always I because I, I know you and know a lot of the guys officiating a lot of our stuff. I've become friends with them. So when I see oh I know Nick Svok, I know you know these guys that are officiating these games. Uh, so it's always fun to see them in the lobby. Fun to see them at, at getting their chance to skate in, in a really big game in front of. TV audience and and uh, obviously uh, twenty thousand people. Um, what's the process to, to making it to state? 
Yeah, once you once you apply for the state high school league, you join an association, a local officials association. And I know a few of them just through running our high school stuff. There's a Minneapolis, there's a St. Paul, there's a Suburban. Is there any others out there? Right, there's a Southern group. Okay. And then there's oh, like for the the five oh seven. Right. Right. Yep. And then there's a couple northern groups, like an east and northeast and right. northwest kind of thing. Yep. Okay. Um, so how do you get in? There's always a guy from Cloquet who makes the big tall guy. Right. He's super Taylor. noticeable. Right. Yep. Taylor. All right. How how does a guy like that get to the state tournament? So you you apply and in there they ask you you know give your your resume on what you've done in the high school league and what you've done outside of that. How many applications do they get? Do they get two hundred? Do they get just a very few? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. A lot of people apply. Okay, a lot of people apply. Yeah, All right. So what happens is then there's a, a committee that reviews those, and uh, the high school league has uh, developed a Google Doc where they kind of track who's in the tournaments, you know, so that they get a little bit of variety in there. Right. And uh, what happens is that uh, there's a committee then that uh, selects the officials, uh, 16 uh, referees, and uh, 12 linesmen uh, will come in to work the tournament. Uh, linesmen will work every day. The referees will work uh, – 12 of them will work uh, three games, and four of them will only work two games just because that's all and the games are. And are they chosen by region? Or uh, are they chosen by association? Like Minneapolis gets more than St. Paul, or do they kind uh, of di- no, divvy it up a little bit? No, there's a committee. Uh, you know, Bill Crossnables is the head of officials, yep. and he has a committee of, of, uh, of uh, cohorts that kind of help you know, elect who, who's, who's, done, uh, who, who's ready for the state tournament you know, for the upcoming year. All right. And it doesn't, it doesn't really matter by region or anything like that. Okay, so, the, but they usually take a guy from the north and they take a guy from the south. It seems like they're always a, bit, a little bit of variety, right? Uh, absolutely, right? absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the, the northern. I mean, there's there's good officials all throughout the state. No, and, I, I so, agree with that. So they want to try to get everybody represented. All right, um, and is it a guarantee for you to get picked uh, to, to to officiate the state tournament every year? No. Have you been bounced before? Yes. You have? Okay. Yes. This was one of the years, right? Right. Due to injury, though. <laughs> no, uh, I don't think I was in the in the circuit. What's that? No, I, w- I wasn't in the circuit for this year. You weren't because no. of injury. How did you get injured? I was uh, working a Benil Blake uh, game right after uh, Christmas break. Yeah. Uh, over at St. Louis Park. It was right after hockey day, actually. Yep. Right after, right. Yeah, right after they beat uh, Blaine. Yep. And I got clipped in the corner and... During JV, was it? Yep. My okay. Feet, my feet were in the rafters before I knew it, and the only thing separating my head from the ice was my... Extended right arm, and uh, my wrist uh, broke the entire fall. Really? So I broke in three places. I got nine pins and two plates in there. So, how many weeks didn't you skate? I've uh, been out since January twenty-first. So we're still two months. Mm-hmm. You would have officiated uh, in the, our tournament stars of tomorrow, right? Right. So that would have been a two-month break. So it cost you eight weeks. Right. All right. Um, and you guys are independent contractors, right? Right. So it's not like you could go get insurance or workers' comp or anything right. like that. I suppose maybe there's a workers' comp with the uh, with the state high school association, right? No, I'm not. Uh, I don't think that there is. I'm not sure. Okay, all right. But you assume not, right? right. All right. Um, so we've been through the coaches. We've been through this process. Um, why do the guys, you know, for the for the state tournament, why do they wear suits? What what? Why is that? Did anyone has anyone ever asked why why at the state tournament? You're the only guy in the crowd, the only guy in the press box that's wearing a suit and tie. Well, th- this is this is for a lot of people. It's a once a lifetime opportunity, and it's a, a professional event. Uh, it's 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 a top amateur event in the country. Um, 
No argument outside, for me. You know, outside, you know, Texas football. I haven't been down there for that. I had college roommates that came from down there. Yeah. Um, let's see how great Texas football is. Um, but I'll put up I'll put up our state tournament against anything. And so we want to show, you know, like when you show up to the rink, you know, you're not wearing choppers. Right. You're professional. You come in there in a suit and tie. Um, and, and you do that. And, and when you do wear those things, like you said, you're noticed. Yeah. And so uh, when you are noticed, you have to be cognizant of your surroundings um, on any types of things that you're doing, comments, those types of things. Um, because you are recognized as as one of the uh, as one of the top officials in the state because you're there working the tournament. Got it. All right. So you've done a lot of high school hockey tournaments. Uh, we've made a list here of great high school hockey games that you've officiated. Do we want to start from the bottom and go all the way up? Sure. All right. We'll start from the bottom. Uh, number five. What is it? Moorhead against Greenway in two thousand one. Is that a Gino Geyer? Gino Geyer was on okay. on Greenway, and Morinville was coaching Moorhead, and it was my first uh, opportunity to work a Friday night semifinal. Ooh! And at uh, the X, at, X is brand X. new at this point. Yep. So it, it was jam packed, and you know two two northern teams with really good players, and uh, it was it was a fun just a just a great environment, great game, um, fun to work. All right. Um, Next one, number four. This is a 2009 quarterfinal game, Eden Prairie-Blaine. What made that one so special? So you had uh, Blaine and Dave Oss were led by Nick Busted. Yep. And uh, Lee Smith, uh, they had uh, Nick Letty on the squad and probably one or two or Kyle three. Kyle Rouse. Yep. Yep. And uh, it was it was just a fantastic game, one-goal game, and, and Nick Busted came down on Letty, and Letty just crushed him. Great hit. No problem with it. And Dave Oss you know, was a little concerned, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> and uh, he said, Tony, that was right to the head. You know, and I said, Dave, that was a Division One hit by two Division One players. Yeah. And he said, okay. <laughs> um, so I was – but I was just – you know, you have guys like that that – I mean, that's not a reason why people officiate is you kind of see these people grow and come up through the ranks. And those two have had pretty good NHL careers. You have a – a moment like that, um, and there's lots of them in a state high school hockey tournament weekend. You know, you get, f- you know, four days of it, you know, of great players. Now with the Class A so deep, you know, you get the the Cathedral versus Hermantown game that, that you know, we'll, we'll get to that one in just a second. But you get, get in a situation like that um, where you get these great players and they're making great plays at very high speeds with – Great deal on the line, great little intensity. Um, uh, like you talked about the, the Letty Bukestad thing. It happened here in the state tournament uh, on Friday afternoon with with uh, Cathedral and Hermantown. Have you ever had a situation like that? It's obviously never happened in the state high school hockey tournament where it's almost it's the end of the period and you get the near bench-clearing brawl. How, how would you have handled it, and what would you do if you were in that situation? You know, the the tough thing at, at the end of a period is the natural instinct for every single player on the bench. The, get off the get ice off the and go go talk to the goalie, right? Get off the bench. Yep, every yep. single every single player. NCAA has some rules that that stipulate that. Um, but uh, for, you know, from a high school league standpoint, you know, they come off the bench and um, you, you got to kind of try to manage that. But you're also looking to see, hey, what started this? You know, who's involved? Um, and that's when you really why rely, was it happening? That's really why you rely on on the four officials that are on the ice to sit down and say, hey, we gotta we got to work this out. we got to figure out, hey, what, what started this? Who's going to the box? Is there anything, you know, what's, is, is there major worthy, you know, where, where are we going to be at? What's our end result? And it was pretty even. I think the penalties came out 
uh, fairly even holding. But what I did notice, though, early in the second period, uh, the massive amount of penalties they called. I mean, in the first five minutes, it seemed like they called three or four more penalties just to kind of lay down the law. Have you had to do that before as a ref? Yeah, what will happen is that you, you typically want, you want the game to flow. Right. And so you take, the, you take the black and white penalties right away. Yep. Gray area ones, you might give a little bit more gray area to. Right. Um, and if the team start to take advantage of that, then, then you, you got to kind of buckle down. Up. Yeah. And, and, you, and the way you buckle that down is you usually go over a little bit. Yeah. And then you let it come back. Right. And so, um, you know, I think, you know, obviously the officials there did a great job uh, being able to kind of, you know, hash out what they needed to do um, and, and, and get back to the game. And that was, uh, I know Dan Kavark was one of them. Was CJ in, in that as well? Uh, I'm not sure who his partner was. You don't even know. Was, no. I, I know Dan was involved in it because we were yeah. talking about it. Like, wow, he got himself into a pickle. He really did. I mean, that was a tough game. I mean, really tough game. Yeah, it was just a, it was just something like you said, you, you, you don't see. Never. You, you, you prepare for it, but you usually don't see it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you've been, and the more you ref, the more you've seen, the more you know how to handle that. I mean, uh, the end of period, that's a really good, I know, I know we're just here to talk about the five best games, but the end, you raise a good question there about the end of period rules because in theory they don't need to come onto the ice to congratulate the goalie. They could just walk down the tunnel. Right. But at a, if you go to a whatever, I'm just the first thing that comes to mind is Lesur, right? Well, Lesur, you got to get off the ice and you got to skate over and go through the gate and go to the locker room, which is 99% of the rinks are like that. Right. 95% are like that. You know, like you get veterans and a few of these where you go underneath. But for the most part, at the State High School Hockey Tournament, you could make a, a local rule, for lack of a better term, right. and say, hey, don't go on the ice. Yep, just turn around and go off the just tunnel. Just turn around and go off the tunnel. And the five guys on the ice can congratulate the goalie and Dunsky, right? Do you, would you right. support that? Oh, yeah. Because it, it could have got really – I mean, that could have right. been a black eye for the tournament had that gotten out of hand. Right. Like it, one or two more guys, that could have yeah. gotten really ugly. You know, at the, at the same token, you know, like we're one of the teams out there – you know, yeah. the, the coaches for both the teams are part of this, yes. this team too. And so you want to make sure that everybody's on board with what we're doing. You know what's funny? I'm going to throw this out, throw this at you. I think social media actually helped in that in that situation. Because I think, you know, you, there's like five or six, ten guys kind of going at it, right? And I think maybe like, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, those guys that were out there realized, oh, God, if I – do what I really want to do and go smash that guy from cathedral over the head. This is going to be, this is videotaped, right? It's going to be on social media and it's going to be me who is going to be held responsible for the actions, you know, whereas opposed to if a game, go back to Lesur, if this game's being played at Lesur, yeah, no one really even cares. And then all the bad press that happened through those end of season fights. You remember those days with the Holy Angels, Jefferson and um, Minnetonka and Benilde. You remember those games that were end end right. of season section semifinal games. I think I think those bad moments in social media maybe helped deter some of the ugliness. Uh, possibly. I mean, the other thing too is that if you if you get a game misconduct in a state tournament, so you're out the next game. Yeah. You can't go through the medal ceremony because <laughs> we, we yeah we had we had one in our championship game and that player could not go through the medal ceremony which which championship game uh, benilde and hill oh really okay yeah. we'll get to that yep. that's a good segue right yep. all right uh next game number three on the tony Lancet greatest games in the high school tournament he's officiated benilde hill 2012 i mean there's so many things that happened in this game 
you 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 fill in the you you lay it all out there, and I'll fill out any other details you miss. Yeah, this for this this tournament in particular uh, was one that kind of reinforced everybody's uh, everybody's confidence in the in the t- the teams in the high school league as far as who could win the tournament because every lower seed won on the quarterfinals. Yes, every single one, and uh, but this was the year of J- Jack Jablonski. And, it uh, kind of restored faith in humanity too. Yep, I mean, the yep. whole story was great. Yep. And so they got to the championship game against Hill Murray, and Hill Murray was led by Jake Genzel. Yep. Um, and and Benil had Grant Bessie. Yep. And it was going to be a showdown of the superstars. And uh, Bessie has, I think, it's still a tournament record at oh, three yeah. shorthanded goals. Yes. And for his last one, I was I was the official on the end. He was coming out of the puck with, and I was standing on the ice looking up at you know eighteen thousand people standing up at the X. Just cheering, and he went down and scored, and just being the back guy, just looking up in the crowd and hearing the noise, it was like, this is this is a great moment. This yeah, I mean moment. that brings it raises the hair on your yep. arms, doesn't it? Like yep. wow, and you and you had the best seat in right. the house. You and the gold judge and the goalie, unfortunately, right. yep. had the best seat in the house, and it just goes crazy. I mean, I remember that building was just yep. insane. Yep, and for and for for Bessie to have kind of that day in the in the state championship game. Was, was something else. Yeah, it's almost Spihar like. I mean, it, it's a legend that will never die. That 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 game that he had in that in that. And, then, and you had Jablonski up in the suite, you know, and and it was right into the end where he was scoring, and you see him up there and with his family, his support staff, and all that, and just think of everything that that team had been through that year to, to cap it off with a state championship was just unbelievable. It was pretty cool. I mean, the whole it was almost like. Uh, you know, he was the king, you know, right. and everyone knew exactly where he was in the building at all times. Right. Cameras, the whole deal. I mean, it was uh, it was a special moment in our tournament's history, that's for sure. Right. All right, uh, let's go number two. I put this one on the list for you. I made you have this one on your list. Not because it was one of the greatest games ever, but it had the implications, potential implications uh, that had – that didn't happen, but almost happened. Let's go Lakeville South, Eden Prairie in the 19-2019 state quarterfinal. Right. So yeah, two, was, this was, is the 1 o'clock the, game. The afternoon game. That's a very important detail here, yep. right? Yep. So, we, you know, we, it's, you know, the, the timing, we started probably around 145 or so. And, uh, sure. And get out there. And, and, and the game was going on, and it was it was back and forth. Great game. Good, yep. And uh, it ended up tied, and we go to overtime. And so just we, so everybody knows, overtime's eight minutes and then they resurface, and then they come back, play 17 minutes, and then another eight minutes. The triple over the third overtime was the eight minutes to replicate the eight uh, eight minute first overtime. Right. Okay. So we got through uh, got through the first overtime, went in to resurface, you know, and got a little uh, water. And, and in the, in the officials' room, we have a pretty we bring a potluck of stuff to kind of so guys can have a little snacks yep. and stuff. So uh, got uh, re- 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 replenished there. I uh, went back out, and in the second overtime, I mean, the Lakeville South goalie was just playing unbelievable. Welsh. Yep. And, uh, you know, EP kept throwing everything I think he set a it. tournament record for saves. Did you yeah, know that? It, yeah, it could have been. I think there was like 62 or something like that. It yep. was crazy. Um, and kept going. And, you know, I think we, we had a penalty in one of the overtimes, and that didn't create – that didn't uh, right. you know, give, you know, produce, result in a goal. Uh, but they were, they were just playing with everybody's emotion. They were just playing through pure emotion because at that time, the guys are getting worn down. And after the second overtime, we had our three-minute break. Right. We're sitting so, there so now this is you've played 17 minutes. You have a three-minute break before the eight. And if you after the eight, just so you know, after the eight now, then you would go resurface. Right. It's now like 4.35 o'clock, right? Right. got to clear the building for a 6 o'clock game. The State High School League is freaking out. 
Keep going. So so we're sitting there and we're talking before the third overtime. They wouldn't admit, they admit they're freaking out, but yeah. you and I both know they're freaking out. Well, I mean, it wouldn't have been the best situation. Correct. Let's just put it that Correct. way. Correct. Yep. So, so we're sitting there talking. I'm talking to my partner, and we're just like, are we going to get a goal in this thing? I mean, the, the ice is not very good. There's no TV timeout. You know, right. so they're playing through. You know, they got to start playing third liners and fourth liners at some point, you know, to give some guys a break. And, uh, again, nobody can get anything anything on net uh, with any with any substance to, to, to get a goal or there weren't too many odd man rushes it was really p- keep the puck to the outside throw something at net hope you find a rebound right and uh, I think under a minute or so uh, Jack Jensen was able to put something on net that went through the goalie and uh, they won yeah <laughs> and uh, we got off the ice and went down there and that's when uh, getting the locker room everybody's kind of waiting for us in there and like oh thank goodness that didn't go another another overtime because you had to come back tomorrow <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> so yeah, you would have had to come back tomorrow and and go through the scenarios. I mean, that would have been eight a.m. at Excel Energy Center. They they didn't really get into the detail, but if you if you it know what it had to have been, if you know that you know at the X they have an eleven o'clock semifinal game, so you got to make sure you allow enough time for the the game to finish. Correct. But then whoever lost that game would have had to go play at in noon. Th- in theory, well, ten o'clock. In theory, in theory yeah, would which would have never yeah. happened. Uh, in theory, at ten o'clock over at Mariucci. That would never. That would. It would, it would so, literally. They would have set off a a string right. of uh, occurrences that wouldn't have been positive. I think. I think back like in 1984 or something like that. Minnetonka. <laughs> I was like, there. Th- th- it was 85, 85, I believe. It was Minnetonka and Jefferson. Brock Rindall scored the oh. game winner uh, the next day. Right. And again, it was a. It was the game one of the night session. Um, and they started, it was be seven o'clock and nine o'clock back then. And, um, it was probably 10, 15 yeah. and they were in three, four, five overtimes. And I don't remember the exact number of overtimes, but I know they scored right away right. when they got there the next morning, but the, the next game had to get started, yep. you know, and they just, they, they, you can get away with a lot if, if the goal, if this is happening at the final game of the night, you know, like right. the Eden yep. Prairie, uh, not Eden Prairie, the uh, Duluth East uh, Apple Valley game. That was the second game of the semifinal session for right. that night. So it was okay. They got away with it there, but you can't get away with it when there's another game waiting. Right. Yep. So, all right. And drum roll, please. Your best game um, you've seen as officiated in the state high school hockey tournament. Uh, it had to be 2017 championship game with Hermantown and Mammal, the Moose. One of the best games I've ever seen. And craziest. I mean, this is talk about officiating. We get to talk about the disputed, uh, would have been, it would have been Tyler Watkins' goal interference call on Sandalin too, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a great game. Um, if you if you don't remember, um, I can I can t- I can you know you and I were two feet away from each other the whole game. I was around the glass trying to shoot photos, shoot still photos of this game, and my recollection was, and the entire lower lower bowl is full, and now parts of the upper deck are full for a class A final. It's never been seen before. I think there was probably. 10,000 fans, 11,000 fans for a Class A final. And I want to say 97% of the people were cheering for Mammal. And they all knew the Moose chant. Yes. Which I, I hadn't heard before. And we got out there and they scored. And that place started doing the Moose chant. I was like, this is unbelievable. And it's the Viking skull yep. chant, right? Where yep. you hear the bang, bang, moose, yep. bang, bang, moose. And they just kept doing it yep. over and over and over. It really what made, it really what makes high school sports great. So 
walk through what happened when when Watkins scores the goal and they celebrate. I mean, literally, he's on the ice. It's yard sale. There are sticks and and gloves everywhere. At what point did you know this goal is going to be called off? Well, I knew we were going to go to review because there was a there was a Hermantown player around the around the net. Okay. Yep. And I was I was the high official, um, so I couldn't really tell. I don't remember how they scored it. I mean, I I know that it was a shot in the slot and right. Sam wasn't okay. All right, yep. sorry. So because I, I know how. I know how Sandberg scored from the point right. and just kind of seeing I single. Yep. I remember that, but I, okay, keep going on, yep. on so, Watkins. So I, I knew we were going to take a look at it because, well, first, every goal is reviewed yep. in the high school league tournament. So I knew we were going to review this one, and, and the player from Hermantown was around the goalie. Yep. So uh, it went upstairs, you know, and, and they took a look at it. And Now, who was upstairs? Was it Greg Shepard? Um, it was on Saturday. I'm not quite he sure. He usually is doing WCHA he, on the weekends. Yep, there, there's, a, there's a couple of guys that rotate through right. there um, that really help us out, do a great job up there. And, uh, you know, it took, it took a little time. Now, uh, are you on the phone? Yep, we're on the phone. Who's on the phone? Both both referees? No, there's only one. They just had one phone. So Okay, so it's just of, one of you, yep, and yep, you're the guy that's on the we, phone. We called up there. What's going on? What's going we're, on when they're talking to you? We're just saying, you know, what do you, what do you see, you know? And Actually, my, my partner was on the phone okay. with him. Who was it? Um, you never say a, names. A, you haven't said any names yet. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a top official. It so. doesn't matter. It's just, it's, it's, <laughs> he's, he's down low because he was down low, so he was kind of saying what he saw. Okay, gotcha. You know, and, and so explaining that, and then uh, he came back down, and he's, he looks at me, and he's shaking his head. <laughs> and I'm like, no goal. <laughs> and he's like, yep, no goal. So they, they announced no goal, and now guess what we have to do? You got to go talk to what was the term, Nate? What was the term we used for Bruce Blant? Gentle quiet, giant, quiet, quiet giant, quiet giant. Right. He wasn't quiet. I'm sure there, there wasn't. I mean, we had a lot of time because they, they had won pick. it in 16, though, right? They right. won in 16. Yeah. Okay, all right. So but, this wasn't to keep the streak right. alive. I mean, you right. remember they had a streak yeah. of six or seven in a row where they lost the final. But we had a lot of time because they had to pick up the ice. <laughs> they, what do you mean? They had to clean up the ice. Oh, they had to go get their sticks. Yeah, 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 everybody did. And it was it was kind of cool at that point because some of the mammal kids were kind of helping. Um, in a nice way to pick up the ice to understand that yeah. they get going again. And my partner just went and just said, "Hey, Bruce, we looked at it on video, and we got, you know, we got, got the crease. contact. Con- we, we, you know, we, we have no goal." So I go, "Okay." Is that what he said? And, you know, in so many words, <laughs> he, he was. He, he's like, you know, it's it's video. He's been through a lot at the state tournaments, so he understands that. Hey, when you go to video, we're making a call based on what's seen on the video, and that's it. Yeah, and this is, you know, is it, it's kind of like, I'm sure it's kind of like the NFL where it's like you have to have insurmountable evidence to prove it, right? So they had evidence. Right. I mean, I, I remember yeah. watching it now, you know, over and over. They weren't showing that on the video board. Right. T- t- they were showing it on TV, though. Right. Um, okay. It, on TV uh, they were showing it, but not on the video board. Right, at, yeah, at the X. Yeah, typically anything that might uh, might have some type of controversy, they, they want to wait to to show that on they don't which, wanna, which makes sense yeah especially know? with 11,000 people right you know so uh so we, we call no goal we pick up the puck and, and we start going again and now this overtime is winding down right <laughs> is what it, I second overtime what, this is second overtime yeah, we're winding down and uh this i think there was an icing and just a normal you know in zone draw and it goes back to dylan sandberg on the board side right and literally i'm because i'm down there on the other side of the net watching this puck slither on the ice yeah right to the far side of the net right in yeah and I'm like, goal, yeah, <laughs> game it's over, over, you know. And it was pretty quick after, wasn't it? Well, this was toward the end. I mean, it, it went on for a few, for probably about eight to ten minutes because there was only a couple minutes left in that second overtime. 
Okay. All right. All right. So it did go. It had to have gone quite a ways then. Yeah. All right. Um, what are you thinking after the game? Relief. <laughs> There's your one-word yeah. description. Re- relief. Yep. Well, it was. Uh, I kind of had a, 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 a few other long games uh, in my career. I'm thinking, geez, uh, this could be. This what could were be some of the long games? Well, I mean, more like Augsburg and St. John's was a three. That was a legendary time. one, that, wasn't it? That was. T- you know, those are 20-minute overtimes. Yeah. Um, and that and that went for quite a while. So um, had that. I had I had uh, Concordia at St. Mary's when the compressor went out right before we were supposed to step on the ice for a Saturday night game. Yeah. Got postponed till the next day at two o'clock. Yep. Then it went double overtime. <laughs> so we left on you know Saturday morning for a. Where was the Where was the game at St. Mary's? Oh yeah, so you're down in down in Winona. So they they put us at at, at the local motel and we stayed over. So we left on Saturday morning for seven o'clock and didn't get back till Sunday night. Yeah, that's probably the longest. Uh, so, but uh, but yeah, just to have the relief. I mean, it was just a great game. You know, good. We were just happy. Good goal to end it. I mean, whenever you're fishing a game like that, you want to have a good goal to end the game, and that's what we had. And uh, you know, we went to relief, and, and a couple of us had some dinner plans actually, where we missed our our yeah. reservations. Yeah, I'm sure you did. We, we had it was four o'clock. You know. Yeah. So so when you are officiating, you know the the, the broader landscape of officiating games, uh, what's what's your favorite kind of game to officiate? Is it is it going to be the because uh, uh, I'm a big squirt guy. I love a squirt game because it's just the the energy. They're short games. You get on to the next game. Uh, for you, you've you've done it all. You've you've done squirts for us. You've done obviously college division one, division three. What's your favorite level when you get to the rink? Like oh, I love this level. Well, to be honest, I mean, I, I like working different levels. Yeah, I know you do. And so to, I don't really know that I have a favorite. I like working the banners because you get to see the new guys that are going to be on the horizon for the high school season. Right. Then you start to see the guys that blossom as high school kids that are going to go on to maybe play college. Um, at the squirt level, you start to see last names of people that I officiated when they played college. Right. You know, and so you start to see them come up through the ranks. And so being just the different levels, I like working the, the, the summer tournaments because you bring some teams from out of state uh, that, that get to skate. You know, uh, you know, uh, and I know I think Sammy Walker was on, uh, on one of your podcasts. And he talked about playing against Sean Doogie. Yeah, from you know, Wisconsin. So I ref those machine games against uh, Chicago, against Chicago Mission, Mission yep. when they played at Breck. Yeah. You know, and just seeing some of those players as they progress through their, through their, uh, their careers to see where they go. Well, um, we've been since youth hockey have started. You've officiated a lot of our. I mean, almost everything I talked about earlier. But that's the fun part of our, our my job and the fun part about your job. You get to see a lot of these guys. You know, they go from. I remember when he was a squirt. How dominant he was. We were talking on on the Sammy Walker podcast about Austin Pratt, and I'm sure you officiate Austin Pratt a million times. You know, and right. it's fun to watch where these guys wind and, and, and end up in their career. And some of them are going to be Sammy Walker stories where they're the Big Ten freshman of the year. And then there's going to be guys, I'm not going to name names, but that, that, that just that was, that was the pinnacle of their career at Pee Wee's or Bantam's or right. high school. And, yep. and then they fizzle out or whatever. The, the game passes them by. And we see right. that a lot of time. Well, there's just so much hockey out there across the landscape, not only in the U.S., but Canada, all over the world now, that as you start to go up the chain, competition for those spots becomes so much so much tougher to 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 break in there so just to have the kids experience and have fun at that squirt tournament i think a lot of squirts go up to 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 fargo for a squirt tournament up there you know and 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 enjoy that experience with the kids because again you don't know that might be the pinnacle of their hockey career 
It is for uh, a lot of know, people. And, 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 you know, and then as you go and you play Peewees, you might have that. And, and as you go into Bantams and, and, and having some of those opportunities, um, it, that, 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 those could be your yeah. best memories. So, so just having that. And that's why me as an official, a lot of our officials, when we go on the ice, that could be their best game. So that you need to bring your best game. Yeah, exactly right. All right, any final thoughts, Tony, on uh, officiating things that we might have left off here? We, we've covered it all. We had a, actually a, t- a tape delay here right in the middle of the segment, but because I'm a master editor, I fixed it. But uh, any final thoughts you want to share with us? No, I know, like in, in any, uh, in the high school in particular, people are always looking for officials. And so if you're thinking about becoming an official, you know, go to the high school league website. Um, go to the, to the Minnesota Hockey website um, and find out how you can become involved in the game because it really helps, and, and especially for players, current players right now that can ref lower levels. Uh, you can really help your game. I wish I would have been officiating when I was still playing. You would have learned a lot. Because you, you just get a different perspective for the game, and you learn it. Um, and so I would encourage anybody that's thinking about being an official that, hey, it's it's something that is it is fun. Um, you get to you get to give back to the game a little bit and, and be involved with with a lot of good people. Well, you're one of those good people, Tony Lancet. We uh, really appreciate you coming here, spending some time, and sharing your thoughts on officiating and, and your experiences, whether it be youth hockey, uh, officiating, and everything in between. We appreciate it. Awesome. Uh, Thanks. We'll see you around the rink. You bet. Thanks, Tony. Love.